Hello, my name is Blair. Welcome to our podcast where we're continuing our series of the New Testament letter of Philippians, where we're looking at the topic of joy, which is a theme throughout the whole letter. Thanks for joining me, and I hope that you enjoy today's topic. I mean, joy. Who doesn't need more joy in their life, right? But it doesn't just happen, does it? Joy is something we need to work for in this life, and that's what we're going to talk about today, where we're looking at the New Testament letter of Philippians, and today we're going to read chapter 2, verses 12 to 18, if you want to turn there or click there in your Bible so that you can follow along. Trust me, you're going to enjoy this. Huh? Huh? Come on. Come on. All right. Well, I tried. I tried. I, I, I enjoyed that. <laughs> All right. Anyway, verse 12 says this. It says, Dear friends, you always followed my instructions when I was with you. And now that I'm away, it's even more important. Work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Do everything without complaining and arguing so that no one can criticize you. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. Hold firmly to the word of life then. On the day of Christ's return, I will be proud that I did not run the race in vain and that my work was not useless. But I will rejoice even if I lose my life, pouring it out like a liquid offering to God, just like your faithful service is an offering to God. And I want all of you to share that joy. Yes, you should rejoice, and I will share your joy. This is Paul, right? The Apostle Paul writing from prison. And he starts out right away, right? He is encouraging the Philippians to show the results of their salvation. Uh, now, other versions describe it as working out your salvation. And, and he says to them, you know, you always followed my instructions. So last week we talked about Jesus' obedience in verse 8 of, of chapter 2 and even his obedience to death on a cross. And there is a correlation here between Jesus' obedience and how the Philippians, how the Philippian people are following the instructions of God, how they also are being obedient. Now, obedience might seem like an intimidating word to some. Because, I mean, let's be honest, we all know that we fail and mess up. We can make bad choices, but we often approach life with that expectation, the expectation of failure and disobedience. We make room for our bad choices, but in God's mind, obedience is not optional. And I'm not trying to condemn anyone by saying that. What I mean is that it's actually possible for us to be obedient to God. There's mercy and forgiveness for when we aren't, but God's grace empowers us to live in victory and in the strength of God. Let me encourage you today. It's possible to be obedient to God in all areas of your life. It requires hard work on our part. But it's not just dependent upon our efforts alone. You know, God doesn't demand obedience and then not provide the power to accomplish it. He's much better than that. 
if it was completely dependent on us, then it, then it might make sense to leave room for our bad choices, but it isn't. To us, you know, it, it's us in partnership with God, and, and He never fails. Now, it will require from us a, a discipline of our thoughts and emotions and, an, and a reliance on God for self-control. You know, in growing up, my dad always taught me that I would never regret hard work. And uh, I've always found that to be true, and that includes in our faith. Now, working hard to show the results of your salvation, it doesn't mean that you're working to earn salvation, because that would actually contradict the, the Bible's many other teachings on the fact that salvation is by faith alone. What, what's happening here is Paul is calling the Philippians to put forth real effort into their Christian lives. And that still applies today. Our, our faith, our relationship with God takes work, effort on our part. And so there is a sense in which our salvation is complete because Jesus has done a, he's done a complete work for us through the cross and resurrection. But the goal of the Christian life is to be like Jesus. So in that sense, there's still, there is work for us to do to show the results of our salvation. It's not a complete work yet. And that process is called sanctification. It's a good theological word to know. The process of day by day becoming more like Jesus is sanctification. And this is a personal pursuit that every believer is called to engage in. You have to do it for yourself. No one else can do it for you. you know, and, and just attending church doesn't do it. It is a personal day-to-day -day relationship that you develop. And we're told to do it with deep reverence and fear. Well, what does that mean? The idea of reverence and fear before God is important. Salvation through Christ rescues us from an eternity in hell and allows us to share in God's eternal life. We can't earn that. We don't deserve it. But because God loves us, he offers it to us. And then the Bible describes that, that the God of the universe comes and inhabits us. The living, eternal God comes and he lives inside of us and works in our lives. I mean, that's something sacred. And our response to that is reverence. Which, and sometimes, you know, reverence can imply this idea of God being like way up there and us down here groveling. But in fact, it's just the opposite. It's the understanding that God is so close that he knows every thought. He knows every intention. He knows every word before it's spoken. And the desire of our heart then is to please him, to be like him. So we now approach our life carefully with consideration, with reverence because we've been saved. To fear God is to care more about what he thinks than anyone else. To want to please him over any human. God's work in us increases our responsibility to live well for him because he's at work giving us the desire and the power to do what pleases him, the scripture says. So, then it goes on to say in, in verse 14, it says this, it says, do everything without complaining and arguing 
so that no one can criticize you. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. Hold firmly to the word of life then. On the day of Christ's return, I will be proud that I did not run the race in vain and that my work was not useless. But I will, re I will rejoice even if I lose my life, pouring it out like a liquid offering to God, just like your faithful service is an offering to God. And I want all of you to share that joy. Yes, you should rejoice. And I will share your joy. So the idea here, you know, if you are looking for, you know, practical ways to please God, I mean, there's a list for you right there. And it starts with saying, do everything without complaining and arguing. I mean, the standard is pretty high right, right at the start, isn't it? I mean, because our culture has devolved into complaining and arguing and Christians have taken part in it. I mean, you know, when Paul writes this, he's in prison under threat of execution. And on top of that, right, then one of the themes of this letter is joy. And yet here he's writing to do, to do everything without complaining or arguing. And this is challenging because there's an attitude of Christ that's meant to be embraced by the followers of Christ. And it explains that when we complain and argue, we invite the criticism and scorn of those around us. So instead, we're called to live with reverence and fear towards God, holding his thoughts and opinions as more important than our own, more important than our freedoms. That's a challenging thought for us. We love independence, but we're called to be dependent upon God. We're called to live clean and innocent lives, and the result is that our lives will shine into a dark world. Complaining and arguing reveals the state of our heart in relation to obedience, and it affects our ability to be like Jesus to others. That can be a difficult thought, right? You know, I heard this illustration years ago, and, it, and it's always stuck with me. You know, when you, when you fill a, a glass of water, you, you know, right to the top, and, and sometimes the, the water can even just, like, bubble over the top a little bit because of surface tension that holds it there. And, and that, that full glass of water will sit there and not spill until it's bumped somehow. And our lives are just like that. Whatever we're filled up with will spill out when life gives us a bump. So, you know, and, and you can tell when life bumps you, if you begin to complain, if you begin to argue, what's really inside. There are a lot of people, including Christians, who have complained and argued about the situation we're in, often pointing to crooked and perverse people. Uh, and, and, and agendas as the justification for their complaint or their argument. Now, to be clear, I'm not saying there, that there aren't, aren't crooked or perverse people and agendas at work, but I am saying this. I am saying that Scripture is telling you it's very clear to not complain or argue about it. And you might think, well, I don't like that. <laughs> This is what it means to have reverence and fear of God. We should, each and every one of us, take stock of the ways that we complain and argue. 
In fact, take some time today. Get quiet before God and ask him if there, if there, are, if there are any complaining or argumentative attitudes in your life that he wants you to give up. This is the hard work of showing the results of salvation. This is the working out of your salvation to become more like Jesus. The God of the universe is living inside of you, and so is that attitude. And if we want our whole lives to please him, we shouldn't assume that God is okay cohabitating with that attitude. It takes hard work on our part. Paul goes on, and he uses himself in his, as an example in verse 17, and he uses the illustration of a drink offering, which was a practice among both Hebrew and, and pagan people in their sacrifices. They would pour wine or perfume either beside or on the animal that was sacrificed, and, and the idea was that that's, that made the sacrifice more valuable. And as I already said, Paul's in prison under the threat of execution, and, and it's very possible that what he's alluding to here is his understanding that that's what's about to happen to him. He may be already under nose from God that he's going to be martyred. And so he's not saying to them, you know, be joyful in my death. He's not telling them, what he, what he is telling them, though, right, is that there's joy and faithful service to God, regardless of being free or in prison, living or dying, because Paul had already decided that his life would be a sacrifice for Jesus Christ, either in life or in death. And that was a source of joy for him. And, and what Paul wants is for the Philippian people to adopt the same attitude. And we should, too. Because joy is found in, the com in, in completely committing your life to Jesus. Every area, every aspect, all of your thoughts, all of our feelings, our actions, our relationships, all of our choices, our speech, our time, our money, it's all meant to be for and about Jesus. And that is where we will find deep, sustaining joy. So, there's just two ways that I want all of us to respond to today's message. I've already mentioned the first, which is to get alone with God and ask him to show you any complaining or argumentative attitudes in your life. And the second part, part, it works in partnership with the first. When you're alone with God, ask him to show you an area of your life where he wants your full commitment. And then what I would ask, when you, after you've done that, I would ask that, you know, tell somebody that you trust what God has revealed to you, what God has shown you. Because you, you want a couple things. Our faith is, is best lived in community, that kind of openness. And you want that person that you trust to hold you accountable, right? That, 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 uh, that you're going to do the hard work and, and you're, you want them to hold you accountable to that hard work. See, God desires for our lives to be filled with joy, not just so that we enjoy life more, but so that we will shine into a dark world that is crooked and perverse and needs the light of God. It needs us as believers to live in joy. So that, that's how I want you to respond today. Let me encourage you that God desires to talk to you 
not to condemn you, but to actually show you how uh, the way to freedom, to show you the path, the way to work out the results of your salvation. Doesn't make sense that God would would you know put these expectations in place and not and then not provide the power and the desire to do it. It isn't all just dependent upon us. It takes our hard work of getting past ourselves, um, you know, our own selfish wants and desires and coming to God and saying, okay, Lord, I want what you want. Or even if it's just, I want to want what you want. That's a mouthful right there. Anyways, go to him. Go to God. Be alone with him for a little while. Still your heart and mind. Shut off your TV and your phone and, 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 and for a little bit, maybe go for a walk in nature if you need to, but, but find a spot where you can be with just him as best you can. And then ask him to talk to you. Right? Are, are there any complaining or argumentative attitudes in your life? Are there areas where he is, he's you know, poking at, putting his finger on saying, I want your full commitment right there. Whatever that is. And then share it with somebody. All right, I want to pray for you today. Father in heaven, thank you that we can know joy even in the midst of freedom or prison, life or death, that we can know joy because, Lord, you are joy. God, may you help us to show the results of our salvation. God, forgive us for the times where we have selfishly uh, guarded and protected the things that we thought were important, more important than you. Forgive us for the times that we've allowed things to live inside of us, things that you didn't want in, in, in us, in our hearts, our minds, to, um, <laughs> to, to cohabitate with you. God, may we be a people who are fully, wholly committed to you in every way, in every way. God, I pray for your blessing over each home, each person that hears this, watches this, listens to it, God. May you work in us. May we truly experience your joy. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. May you have a joy-filled week.